Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So what happened to Ian when he went to jail? He was a 21-year-old kid, basically, going to jail. What happened to him in jail? And then the amazing ways in which he transformed his life afterwards. So here's Ian again. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. What did the judge sentence you to? So he ends up sentencing me to three years in prison, um, one year home confinement, and three years of supervised release, which is like probation in the feds. And did you think, how long did you actually think you would serve? I didn't know. I mean, you hear mixed things, especially as a kid and stuff. I thought maybe 50%. I, I didn't know, but then there was programming. See, like the thing about prison and everything, you ask one guy the same question, you ask 10 different guys like the same question, you're going to get 10 different answers. Um, no one really knows. Every person's scenario is different. Even the idea of COVID changed everything. Now so many people can get house arrest, this and that. But in my scenario, I ended up doing 26 months um, inside, three months of halfway house slash home confinement, and then a year on an ankle monitor on home confinement under probation. And were you in like in a low security place or? They, they put me through diesel therapy. I was everywhere. I went from the Wyatt Detention Center in Rhode Island. I went to Brooklyn. I went to Fort Dix, a low security prison. Um, from there, I went to the Danbury, Connecticut, low security prison, which is where I was from. I was in Philly detention center for a little bit. I was in um, Brooklyn again during transportation. They sent me all the way out to Chicago for a little bit. I was in Chicago. I was in um, Oklahoma City. I went on. Why'd they send you so many places? So um, the first time I got caught up in like a cell phone investigation, which I was found not guilty of, and then they just moved prisons. But the second time when I got to Danbury, which was my hometown, which was going to be great. You know, I was right next to my parents and um, the guard, one of the guards ends up reporting that I used to date his cousin. So it was a conflict of interest. So they lock me in the shoe, solitary, the hole. I was there for almost six months. And then I have my parents calling every day. They get a state senator to call. They get a lawyer to call. And that pissed the BOP off, the Bureau of Prisons. So they send me on Con Air, the, the, the airplane ran by the U.S. Marshals. That's when they transported me through the system where you go. It took me two weeks to get to Wisconsin from Connecticut. You go to Oklahoma City. 
you go to Chicago, and then eventually you I landed in Wisconsin, which the camp was great. Oxford, Wisconsin prison camp. This thing was cushy. You know who I was there with? Uh, George Papadopoulos from Donald Trump's uh, uh, initial uh. team. He was there for two weeks. But there's cell phones getting in. People are running through the woods to like hook up with their wives. People are smuggling in, you know, McDonald's, sushi, pizza. I remember eating Chicago deep dish pizza one weekend. We're watching movies. It's crazy. There's a track. This is what they mean by club fed. Um, but it, I mean, it was crazy. And then I got out in January, 2019. And what was the most violent prison you're in? Like, were you ever, was there a point where you were scared? I would say Fort Dix would have been the most violent guys were definitely like trying me, I guess you could call it. Cause I looked like a sex offender in their eyes. Cause in these federal prisons, there's not that many young white kids in there really at all for fraud. Um, that's more like the average, like fraud guys in his thirties or forties in these prisons. And I'm 21 years old. Um, which is hard to believe is seven years ago now, but yeah. And, and when they say, when you say they were trying you, what does that mean? So they would like, you know, try to extort me, try to get me to buy them commissary, buy them a cell phone, things like that. So it's really about just like navigating and learning how to survive and, and get through the system. How do you survive that? So I just played, I guess, played it smart. I found um, this, this clip actually went viral when I, when I told it um, on TikTok. I went out, I started befriending some of these big guys in there and they didn't really have much money. So I started buying them commissary every week and playing cards with them and hanging around them. And because of that, other guys weren't going to bother me because they didn't want to like say interfere with those guys hustle because the other inmates are looking at it as those guys are hustling me, but really I'm just paying them commissary as a friend, as whatever, an acquaintance. Um, and, and that's how it was structured and everyone left me alone at that point. And then there's the process of like showing paperwork to show that you're not a sex offender, you're not a rat or anything like that. And then guys left me alone. And they, they gave me the nickname McLovin in prison. <laughs> yeah, you do look a little like McLovin. Yeah, McLovin, uh, uh, Squints, and, and Bieber. They called me Bieber for like Justin Bieber. <laughs> and so were you, were you, you're in prison not with like violent offenders, but with other fraud offenders? No, you're with, the, in the lows, you're with violent people. You're guys that have committed murder, sex offenders, some of the worst sex offenders anything, robberies. Uh, at the camp, there's no violent people. So, I mean, what, when someone, did you, did you know what everybody was convicted of? Like if someone was a, a murderer or a sex offender or whatever? You could find out if you wanted to through the grapevine or you look it up on a cell phone if someone had a contraband phone or anything like that. You could, you could find things out. Was it better to just not talk to anybody? Yeah, I mean, if, if if I had a recommendation for someone to go to prison, but I was in everyone's business moving around too much. I was a kid, you know, I was just screwing around. I was gambling. I was doing whatever. I was trying to hustle, make money. I was getting myself into trouble, which I didn't need to be doing, but that's just like the type of person I am, you know? It's like, you know, that expression where they say like, uh, or like the people that go and smell the shit or whatever to see what it smells like, that was me. And and why would you do that knowing that I could get you into maybe stay in jail longer? I think I was just curious and I missed the adrenaline. Like I went from having so much freedom running this club, always getting into trouble and sticking up to authority to prison. So you kind of have to, I was getting like that fix, you know, that high, that adrenaline. And what were, I mean, you, you on your YouTube channel, you, you interview various 
other inmates and stuff. What were some of the most, like, what are the stories that intrigued you that you found in prison? Um, like the stories that I hear about now? Yeah. I think what intrigues me the most is like the times where guys kind of like get bullied. Um, like I had a guy on and he was literally talking about how he got raped in the prison shower and just like hearing how like the, 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 um, the system fails in that aspect and why they're, they're taking people that are nonviolent and putting them with violent people and, and the politics about that and the gangs and things like that. Like I'm interested in the psychological aspect of it and what people are thinking and how they're navigating and how they're moving around and, and just like where the system fails on that level. And, and did you see that any of that in the prisons you were in? No, I didn't physically see it, but I'd hear stories. Like I heard stories about, um, you know, it was always really the sex offenders that would get beat up or someone that like didn't pay a debt. Um, but there were stories about like a, a sex offender got a, um, a mop handle like shoved up his ass in the hallway and things like that you would hear about. Um, and then you would see fights, you know, the occasional fight, but like not some of to the extent of the stories that I, I hear on my podcast because I was only at that low security prison for like six or seven months. But yeah, crazy things happen. And in the solitary confinement, what does, what does that actually mean? Does that mean you can't go outside and you're in a room with no windows and they give you food once a day? Or <laughs> what, what does the solitary confinement mean? So you're locked down, you know, 23 hours a day, 24 hours technically on the weekends. Um, but during the week, you get an hour of rec time, which they handcuff you and bring you to a cage outside a little cage. So you're moving from one cell to another cell, um, which is in a cage by yourself. You get a shower three times a week. Um, no commissary. You're getting three meals a day. Um, no seconds or anything. So you get very skinny when you're in, in the shoe. They're not big portions. Um, you can get a book. I was reading like a book a day at one point because that's all you could do all day. You wake up, unless you're doing push-ups or whatever, you're reading all day and you're just stuck there laying on your bed. Um, you're talking to other inmates for the cell next door at, at the Danbury prison um, because I wasn't there like in the in solitary, the shoe, because I was in trouble. They let me become the orderly. So I, I was painting cells. It was it looked like Alcatraz with the old bars and they had me paint the cells white. So that, that got me out of the cell. But the, sh the shoe's terrible. It sucks. It's, it's mentally draining. It's just not a good place to be in. And then... So, okay. So then you get out and you, you, you go to a halfway house or whatever. Like what was your, I go to a halfway house in Waterbury, Connecticut, which is like the hood of Connecticut. Not fun. The halfway house is just like you, you and meet guys. It's so bad that guys are like, I don't want Cause there's so many rules that they stack up more rules than in prison. And this is supposed to be halfway to freedom, like in, reintegrating. There's 9 million rules. So guys would want to say, take me back. I'm not following this shit. Take me back to prison. Mm. Just so strict, very petty, very silly. And you have staff that, you know, either just graduated college or they're still in college. They don't care about the job. It's a, it's a bullshit pay job, not even 20 bucks an hour, probably. Um, it's just an e intermediate step for them. And these are, there's kids younger than me. And I'm young at that time by the time I got out, but there's people younger than me these halfway houses are very flawed and they're very for profit. So it's, it just, it's not a good situation.
Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. At what point do you feel like prison changed you? Like, did you start feeling like, oh no, I'm a convicted felon now for the rest of my life. I'm I'm not gonna have a career. I'm not gonna succeed. Like, did you ever lose hope that, 
life would continue? No, I was, I was never, um, I was never depressed about it. I think that, you know, I remember seeing and hearing on social media when I went to prison or even found guilty. People are like, wow, he's a felony. His life's over. Like he's got that on him for the rest of his life. And like, I know my lawyer even played that up at sentencing to try to get me house arresting. Like, you know, this is extreme. He has a felony, you know, this affects him for the rest of his life. And, and, you know, I got to say, and I'm grateful for this, but it really hasn't affected me like it would to the average person. Maybe that's just my mindset or maybe that's fate or whatever it is. I think that what affected me the most was when I got arrested up until after I got out of prison, because that's when the media was slamming me hard. Um, I remember trying to get a job before prison, um, after being convicted and not even Olive Garden would hire me as a dishwasher because of the bad press. But also I owned the club at that point too. So I was kind of doing my own thing. But when I got out, um, I was very lucky that I went to Whole Foods and they hired me and I was able to go from making 15 bucks an hour as a hot bar cook to three years later, by the time I quit making, I was on track to make $100,000 last year. With overtime, I was the manager of prepared foods 32 bucks an hour. Great job. And that was just based my dedication, hard work. I was able in those three years, I got an apartment. I got my own apartment. I got a dog. I got a car. My credit was never affected throughout this whole thing because I never used credit. Hmm. So I was able to build my credit up, got a car, did all these things, credit cards, things that I never had in my life before. My life was significantly better after prison because before I was just running a nightclub with no money. And now I fell in love with the idea of working for someone else and, and having my own money and being able to make four or five grand a month because I hadn't made made that since high school. It was, so it was great. Like I was loving the grind. I got a second job making pizzas. Never affected me at all. And and did you ever feel like, oh, I need to start a business again or get back into the club business? And um, When I first got out, I wanted to get into the club business so bad. I thought that that was my redemption. That was the only way I could ever, like I figured that that was what I was plotting. That's what kept me going in prison. I have all these notes still about what I was writing, just like the plan for the club, what I would name it, all of these things. This was my comeback story. Simultaneously, while like writing a book and selling a book deal and getting a movie made, I studied Wolf of Wall Street. Like this was my ticket to success. And I slowly realized like I had no money to do that and I was not going to take investors to do it. So that fizzled out. And it's a good thing it fizzled out because COVID happened, you know, a a year later. So if even if I managed to get the nightclub going, it would it would have been dead. And then I got the job. I finally caved in and got the job at Whole Foods because I'm like, you know, I'm pitching my story actively emailing writers. I get some buzz like BBC reached out to me, nothing like it was one lead after another. And I'm emailing agents and it was no after no. I remember the, I made an Excel spreadsheet and I had emailed 150 literary agents, the first three chapters of the story of of my book and a synopsis in the news out of 150, six emailed me back. Three of those um, ended up not being interested. The other three said, after requesting the first chapter said they're not interested because there's no relevant media or news. The last article written about me was from four years prior by Vice and it was dead. It was a dead story. So I gave it up. I focused on Whole Foods and I remember 
the last piece to like getting my whole life together was having a car in my own name. At that point, I was paying for my own insurance. I was totally self-sufficient. And the day I got the car, this was almost a year after I got out, uh, I get an e- uh, an inbox message on Facebook that went to my spam from an intern at HBO, uh, HBO Max. And she pitches the whole thing. Hey, can we get on a call? And something told me to message her back. I messaged her back. She called me. They said, we're doing a docu-series. We want to hear your story. I tell them the whole story on the phone for like three hours. Didn't hear anything back for like six months. Nothing. I'm like, okay, whatever. At that point, I'm focused on the job. And then two weeks before COVID hit, I get an email saying, hey, this is green lit. This is what's happening. You're a part of the series. COVID hits, it gets delayed, but they ended up filming it during COVID. And it comes out a year later. And I'm thinking still at that point, this is my big ticket. Like this is going to blow everything up. This is going to get me to where I need to be at. The episode comes out. HBO Max didn't really promote it that much because it was HBO Max was new at the time. And I was just one episode of 10 other people's stories. And I got landed on like a big podcast, a mind pump podcast, which was great. And I got that attention, but my social media didn't blow up. Nothing happened crazily. Um, but the story was out there and then Vice ends up doing a documentary on me and that did 3 million views on YouTube, but nothing major is happening. So I was like, okay, maybe this is, this is not my life. This is not my fate. This is not my journey. I'm just going to stay focused on whole foods, work my way up, be a store manager. Life goes on. Um, and then a year after that, a year after Vice, a year after HBO, it was last July. I start getting these thoughts of, is this really what? the rest of my life is going to be like, like I went from owning a nightclub, doing all these things, making real money in high school. Like I'm 28, 27 years old at this point. Is there, is there more out there for me? Can I have the opportunity to build something again? Cause I don't have a family right now. I don't have kids. Like, yes, I'm in debt, you know, from the past, but is now the time to take a risk. And my friend had been pushing me for months, the videographer from the nightclub days uh, his name is Mike Squires. And he said, dude, you got to get on TikTok. The way you're able to go viral on TikTok is crazy. It's unlike any other platform. You got to start telling your story. And I was very hesitant, but I start telling my story on Instagram one day a week or once a day doing these selfie videos behind the HBO Max poster. Um, and I'm just doing a story, mapping it out. And um, then I start doing it on TikTok. I'm like four or five videos in. I'm getting like a thousand views each day. This is last July. And on the, on the sixth video, I get COVID and I call my friend and I'm like, dude, I, I can't post a video. I'm in bed. I'm sick. I'm not doing it. Cause he said, you have to be consistent if you're going to start this. And he's like, dude, you got to do it. And I'm all snuffly nose, whatever. And I make the video and it was about my time being in solitary. The video goes viral 1.5, 1.6 million views in a matter of days blows my TikTok up, like I'm getting more followers, this and that, like it's getting traction. Not making any money, but it's getting traction. After that video, a producer from MTV reaches out to me and was like, hey, you know, we love your story. We'd love to cast you on this new dating series we're doing. So I'm like, okay, this is it. Like I'm a big believer in like fate and everything happens for a reason. Like this is what my life has came to. This is my opportunity. And there was like a whole interview process and stuff. But I didn't hesitate. I went in the day after I heard from that that um, producer. I put my two weeks in a, at my job. 
Wow. No money lined up, nothing, no deal made. It was because they were already saying, listen, if you get casted in this, you're going to have to be out of the country for two months. I had just gotten my passport back from the government too after eight years. But in a reality series, do they pay you in a reality series? Yeah, so I would have been paid for that. Um, Not much, but the exposure I was looking at, you know, to go overseas, they would have had my expenses. I wasn't going to be able to work. And they end up ghosting me. Never hear from them again. And in hindsight, had I taken that opportunity, if I got it, I wouldn't be where I'm at today because I needed to be dedicated to my social media, which is what I did. Kept my head down, focused on social media, lived off my credit cards for a few months and just started grinding three to five clips a day on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, just telling my stories from prison. And it starts blowing up hundreds of thousands of views. By January, I'm at 100,000 followers on TikTok. YouTube was at 3,000, all these different things. And there's this, I didn't realize there was this huge community of prison TikTokers. And it's a billion people watching this in the world. And in about late December, I start thinking, for the first time ever, I'm thinking about the pitfalls and I'm thinking about long-term. And I'm like, this is not sustainable forever. I cannot talk about my story forever. And I'm not making any real money at this point, maybe a couple grand a month on social media, nothing major. And so I get the idea to start a podcast. And up until this point, I was very anti-podcast because I felt the market was flooded, you know, and there were already prison podcasts out there. So what would make mine different? Come up with this idea for the podcast. I call it Locked In With Ian Bick, kind of the play on prison. And the first two episodes they were very cringe, like looking back on it, like the first one, two or three episodes, I didn't have a direction. There was no purpose. It was just Ian Bick was interviewing people. And I remember researching these guests and having like 50 questions. And I literally read each, the conversation didn't flow. You know, it was just question after question after question. And we start like pushing the videos out, chopping it into clips. And I I make all my own clips, do all the editing for the, the clip aspect and no real direction. And then I start thinking and, you know, people start leaving comments and I'm, I'm, I'm garnering feedback. And that's when everything like clicks, like in my brain, in the universe, in my mind, this can be an inspirational podcast where you're taking people's stories, their life trauma about going through the worst of the worst, the American justice system and telling it in a documentary style way, going through their childhood, something that other podcasts in that genre are not doing because your average prison YouTube channel starts off with, what did you get arrested for, this and that. We're spending the first half hour learning about someone's childhood. I'm studying, asking the questions that no one else is asking, and it's true crime or whatever meets motivation. And the object, it very quickly came to me, is if the average person that's at home that just went through a divorce, just got broken up with, can't get a job, struggling to lose weight, listens to someone that is borderline dying from an overdose or addiction or goes to prison, loses everything and is able to turn that around and become successful, that's going to inspire that person that's going through whatever it is they're going through. And when I kept pushing that message and really honed in on it and made it all about that message, that's when things started to go viral. You know, we started getting a couple hundred downloads and then within four months, you know, we're doing 10,000 downloads per audio episode, which is unusual for a brand new podcast. And The thing that really stuck out was the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel, when I posted the full-length podcast for the first time on video, 
had 3,000 subscribers just off of shorts that I built it. Mm. This was January. We're now in August and it has 135,000 subscribers, 100 million plays on the videos. And now our videos are doing yep. 20 to 30,000 overnight. And it's all just pushing that message. And I think the thing that I love about it is that the first 30 minutes of it is just conversation about childhood, about whatever. It's getting to know that person. It's not based on something salacious. Like you see some of these podcasts about sex, this and that, which sells and gets all these downloads, which is great. But that's in the first couple of minutes to get the person hooked. We're doing this because we have a very dedicated following. And it's a group, like I talk to agents and stuff all the time. They're like, you have attracted a group of male, because it's, it's, you know, it's 90% male, ages 28 to 34, that don't normally listen to podcasts, but they relate to me in the way I'm, I'm telling the story and comparing my story. And I'm one of the few podcasters that have actually been to prison that are interviewing other prison inmates. And they're relating to these stories because these stories have never been told before in this manner. So it's just a very unique experience. And I finally, you know, long story short, I found my purpose and my direction and that's what's working. And I dropped everything else. I started producing like this commissary cooking show about prison cooking which, you know, it was getting some views, but I'm like, this is not what I need to be doing. I need to focus on one thing that I'm good at and I need to make myself better. So every day I'm reading new books. I've been following Jay Shetty, listening to his conversations. How do I get better as a podcaster? How do I get better as an editor? I've moved from cutting all the clips. I make 60 to 80 shorts a week from my episodes because we're doing two episodes a week we're putting out there. So now I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning Premiere Pro. I'm doing whatever it takes to bring it to the next level because this is my life and it's only going to keep going and going and going. And I'm idolizing people like Caller Daddy who edits her own clips and, and watching her growth and seeing people in the business because I'm very new to it. I'm only a few months in, but I'm just like this up and comer that's really, no one's really heard about and has paid attention to. And and I like that it's not built on my past. Like HBO didn't give me this platform. Vice didn't give me the platform. No one gave it to me. I was able to build it through telling my stories on my own and got here. Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. 
hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I, how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. If people just search on Ian Bick on YouTube, they're going to find your show. Yep. That's how I saw you was seeing your your video podcast. It's pretty intense. You've got a great show. And again, you have all these like ex-inmates uh telling these incredible stories. So it's it's really like how a police officer is treated in prison. Another one is Kingpin reveals his multi-million dollar crime ring and and surviving prison. More, another one, mortgage rate, mortgage fraud leads to FBI raid in the shower. Like some great, some great stories. Like what's, what's the economics of it now? Are you making a living from the YouTube videos? Yeah. So, I mean, I have monetized on every platform, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, all of these sites pay and which put me in a unique position as a podcaster, because if say you were to Google, you know, um, how to make money in podcasting, the Google results are going to say, you know, don't quit your day job and um, it takes years to monetize. And that's based on the old logic of ads where, you know, you need X amount of downloads, which are very hard to get to start getting ads on your podcast. And I've been able to generate, you know, 20 or $30,000 a month in revenue without a single ad. We started doing our first ad reads um, this past month, working with an ad company because our down our audio downloads weren't there, but the clips are going viral. And there's so many ways to make money on the short form clips, which now push people to go to the podcast. And I'm getting into public speaking and just doing all these different things. Um, and we just had a call with an agency about doing live shows, bringing my show live, um, oh. at, which I think will be great because it has like the comedy feel to it. It has the, my personality feel. Uh, there's just so many components to it. And I think a big thing too is, you know, there's a lot of prison content creators out there 
but I'm unique in the sense where say you're an adult scrolling through and I'm relatable because when they stop at me, they're like, there's no way this like white nerdy kid with glasses went to prison. That gets them to stop and they end up falling in love with the idea that I could have been their son or their grandson or their brother. And I'm just, I'm super relatable and they like that. And I, I, I get the message out there in a good way and it's all positive. Like, yeah, you have to have the clickbait like about the, the titles and thumbnails because that's how YouTube works. But at the heart of it, when you look at it, it's not your normal prison show. This is a real like men's mental health type podcast that's the first of its kind. That's really just, it's getting out there. And, you know, we're going into other fields. We don't just interview inmates. We interview victims of crime, people that have went to prison. I've had um, family members um We've interviewed police officers, correctional officers. We're going to get into people that have just struggled with addiction, things of that nature. Wow, it sounds great. And, and Ian, it sounds like potentially this, you could do this for the rest of your life. This is you're creating your own little industry here. I, I think so. I mean, the direction it's going in, and you know, now it's just about staying really focused and and you know, just being careful with like who I associate and, and getting out there and just like remaining humble. Cause you know how it is in, in today's world. Like anything could happen. Like if I make what say one wrong thing or make one wrong move, like people are watching. So I just have to be very conscious of that and, and just, you know, stay focused on that. And, 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 but I know like in my heart that I need to just focus on this because for the first time, and I would say 10 years or so, I have something that's working. Um, and I don't want to take that for granted. And if looking back on your story, like all the past, 10 years, is there anything you would say at this point you regret, you would wish you had done very differently? Um, I wouldn't say regret. I don't live like my life with regret. I would say I always think about like the things that I could have done differently and I feel bad about like decisions I made. But also at the end of the day, I do realize that I was a kid that was never going to understand those things at the times I made that. I think it would be different if I made those same mistakes now but I now also have this amazing life experience. And what I find interesting out of this whole thing is that, and, and I think it's just a message to other people that the thing that was supposed to destroy me, ruin me, which is prison, that that dread thing that no one really talks about or wants to talk about, which is why you don't see like celebrities talking about their prison experience when they go to prison, because everyone, it has a negative connotation to it. That's the thing that gave me a career. Like if I never, if I think about it, if I got probation, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. There wouldn't be anything. So it just, it, it, it's interesting to think in that perspective. Like everything happened exactly the way it was supposed to, exactly for a reason. And it led me to right here. Do, do you ever, you're, you're in the same town as where you were conducting all your businesses. Did, do you ever run into some of the people who lent you money or invested or whatever? Uh, occasionally. Um, I think a lot of people either moved out or, you know, they don't really say anything to me. I'll run into some people maybe. Um, what I've found is that it's the people that are either owed, you know, not much of anything. Um, like a couple kids from high school that might have been owed like a thousand bucks or whatever. Or the people that aren't owed anything at all that just followed the case that hate on me the most. Um, not the people that were out the most amount of money. Like when you, when you say hate on you, what do they do? I would say like post negative things. People still post negative things on like Facebook. 
you know, that's never going to end by no, the way. That, I, I'll just tell you. I know. I, it's just interesting to see what people say. I don't, I'm not affected by it. I, I mean, I get hundreds, thousands of comments a day between all my channels, you know, and a lot of it's hate. Um, that doesn't affect me anymore, but people are like, cause my videos go viral a lot and the algorithm tends to push it out to like your hometown from what I've seen. Um, so I'm sure it makes people mad and they're like, well, you know, they, they, they say the words like he's using his prison experience to, you know, get famous or this and that. But they, I also know they're not taking the time to go and look at it because it's not about me anymore. Maybe it was about me in the beginning when I first started on TikTok telling my stories, but there hasn't been a recent video of me doing a selfie video talking about my prison experience for months. The message is so much bigger. The brand is so much bigger. It's it's a real you know thing, and I'm focusing on other people's stories. I'm taking stories that no one's ever heard of, and what I found doing this is that it's the people who have never told their stories before that are coming on for the first time that are the videos do the best, the views get the best. I mean, you look at every big podcast in the world when a celebrity goes on, that celebrity's doing ten different podcasts that week, that week that all come out at the same time. Who wants to hear the same person tell the same story, you know? It, it's true. I will say the least watched or listened to podcast that I do, I'm, I'm mostly just audio format. The least listened to podcasts I do are the celebrities. Yeah. And because also, by the way, the celebrities aren't that interesting. We already know their full story. And if you're a celebrity because you're like an, an actor, you don't, you might not have much personality of yourself. So there's lots of different kinds of celebrities, but they're not really, you know, the best podcast guests. I mean, like, yeah. I, mean I think the other strength I have is that I have a story behind me. Like I have a, an interesting story that supports me. Yeah. Which I think make will make my value go up as I get into the realm of, because I haven't done anyone's like huge platform for a podcast. Like I haven't done any of the main stream podcasts. Yours is probably going to be the best podcast I've done since Mind Pump you know, in relation to, to numbers and reach wise, I got a lot of people that are, that reach out to me to do podcasts, like people that are just starting. And I was doing those all at first, but I'm, I'm slowing down and stopping on those because it just gets oversaturated and they all say the same thing and they don't direct the conversation in the right way. And, and that's, you know, no hate on them. They're, they're, they're new and they're starting, but I prefer not to go onto a podcast where they just say, so tell me everything, tell me the whole story, you know? You gotta you gotta guide it um, and direct it, but you know I think that it's gonna increase my value, my ability to to tell stories and have an interesting story because I could be a great podcast host but not have a story. What's the value in another podcaster bringing me on just to talk about the guests I've had on or whatever? That I think that would get old after a while. No, and I, I think you having the background you have makes you a better interviewer, of course, on your podcast. So you know, that sets you apart as well. Definitely, definitely. Well, Ian, Ian Bick, uh, thank you so much for coming on my podcast, of course. And look, I watch the YouTube version of your podcast and it's great. You're doing a great job. Uh, I wish you every luck and success and thank you for, thank you for putting up with my <laughs> tell me everything uh, approach to your story. So I really appreciate it. And, and thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thank you, James. I appreciate it, man. Uh, you directed it very good. You asked different questions good. than the, than the average person asked. So that's what I, that's what I like. And I remember talking to Jay about that too. 
Um, so oh, that's good. no, it was a fun conversation. I appreciate the time, man. Thanks, Ian. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.